This is an ABC podcast. I think in the times where I've had that little voice in my head telling me you can't do this, which is is a regular thing, and I and for all of the amazing women that I know, as far as I understand, it's a regular thing for them too. But the thing that I've found useful to do, I guess, is to name that voice and separate it from myself in that way so that it's not an inner voice of truth. That's just Kevin. You can zip it, Kevin. (laughs) Adore Beauty founder Kate Morris calling out imposter syndrome. Kate is one of the country's leading e-commerce entrepreneurs, so it might be hard to believe that even someone like her experiences imposter syndrome. But as we'll hear, success and talent do not make us immune. And despite having literally written the book on imposter syndrome, Hugh Kearns has his own Kevin. You're writing the book about it, you think you know everything, but of course your imposter syndrome friend is in your ear saying, who are you to be writing this? What do you know about this? Uh, There must be somebody else who knows more than this. Uh, What you're writing is probably wrong. Are you sure? Uh, Or it's not very well written. You could do better. Maybe you should do it another way. So you have all these these just chatter going on as you're trying to do something, which makes it much harder. Uh, After a while, you sort of get used to that feeling and you go, yep, here we go again. Yep, let's get on with things. For award-winning print and radio journalist Ginger Gorman, imposter syndrome has been a constant companion throughout her career. In 2019, my best-selling book, Troll Hunting, came out and I was invited to speak in various countries around the world. And I went to Norway and it was a really crucial point in Norway because someone had just tried to copy the Christchurch massacre and there's very specific expertise in my book which explains that context. So I'm standing in this huge stadium. There's 800 educators there from all over Scandinavia in like tears. So I'm looking up about to go on stage. I've got this really cute little red dress on and I had this microphone, you know, the headset mic. I was ready to go and I just had this moment of thinking, you know what, like I'm just a fat mum in a headband. Like what am I even doing here? I just wear bad track pants and like have my coffee spilled on them and try to get to school pickup on time. I just, I need to go home, you know. Um, But somehow this tiny little voice did come through that was like, you can do it. You are actually an expert. You wrote the book. You're the one that knows. That's why you've been invited. So the kind of convincing yourself that you are the expert, you do have the expertise, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Work in Life, we're learning how to tame and reframe imposter syndrome and maybe just maybe, learn to turn Kevin to our advantage. When he's not writing books, Hugh lectures and researches in high performance at Flinders University. He explains how to recognise imposter syndrome in yourself. The main thoughts are, uh, somehow, I shouldn't be here. There's going to be a call or somebody's going to say, we need to have a meeting, we need to have a chat. And then they're going to say, well, we've been looking back through our records and, you know, you look quite good, you seem quite competent. However, when we check it out, you're not really supposed to be here. And maybe if you could leave quietly now, we won't make a fuss. And, And what your brain does then is look at all the evidence, you know, maybe that thing I did a few years ago or last week or where I've, because we're all fairly aware of 
where we've got things wrong. And so you go and make a catalog of them and you go, look at that. Once they find that, they're going to realize. And then your sort of brain can spiral out of control. Then, you know, when that happens, then the next thing that will happen, I'm going to lose my job. And you get into this whole catastrophizing sort of thing. And that can happen really quickly. And, and you know, that actually just makes doing anything hard. If, you're, if your brain is having this little private conversation, there's not many brain cells left to get on and do what you're supposed to be doing. And could we perhaps avoid labelling this imposter syndrome with its negative connotations? Because maybe it's a positive thing that we're feeling out of our comfort zone. Hugh? Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, ironically, often you see the imposter syndrome with successful people because they are people who take things on, push themselves out of the way, out of the comfort zone. And, and that's when you're going to feel it because out of your comfort zone means uncomfortable. You know, you're doing something new. Maybe it won't work out. It's a little bit scary. So the first thing I think is you have to sort of recognize that, that that's part of the process. And that's why I like talking about the imposter syndrome, because one of the problems with it is it's a secret. Everybody thinks I'm the only one. And the research shows, and certainly in the book, uh, about 70% of people, when they fill out service, would say they occasionally feel like that. And, and I think the other 30% are probably lying, because <laughs> I, I personally think it's almost everybody really will feel like that occasionally. When you're doing something new, you accept it's going to be a bit uncomfortable. And what people think is, I have to get rid of that. And what I'd be saying, no, is you have to get used to that, really. That's the cost of learning, is you try things out, they don't work, it's okay, you, you fix it up and have another go. So I suppose one of the ways to deal with it is to become a bit more uh, okay or happy, happy enough with that sense of, I don't know everything, it might go wrong, but I can cope with that. And I can cope with mistakes and I can make it better and get on the next day as well. We put a call out for your experiences of imposter syndrome at work and we got a huge response. Here are a couple. My name is Chris Turner. Imposter syndrome for me feels like it's, it's, it's self-doubt. It's not feeling that you have the qualification, skills, experience or you know, like the ticket to play to do what you're doing. I think um, success or failure is secondary to that as well. So it doesn't matter whether you've got wins on the board to point to. That doubt doesn't go away. One of the things that I've found helpful in terms of trying to get past those doubts, and, and for me, I, I think I still have them from time to time, is, is trying to be really focused on where you've been successful and paying attention to the positive feedback that you'll inevitably get. Yeah, I think we all do get good feedback from time to time from clients, customers, yeah, people we work with. And I think it's listening to that external input that validates the view that you hold is probably not real, um, that it's just a view you hold. So, you know, whilst it, I think you need to balance uh, or be mindful of not building your own image based on other people's perceptions, I think if you're in that trap, um, that's probably a great place to go, though. My name is Letitia Mooney and I'm a founder and entrepreneur. Imposter syndrome feels like the most insane anxiety compared with a running subconscious thought, which is, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. Someone thinks I'm better than I am and this is all going to go really badly. <laughs> Imposter syndrome, in my opinion, is the moment just before confidence hits you. It's that point at which you are starting to second or, or third perhaps guess what you're doing, who you are, why you're there, 
whether or not your skills or stories or experiences are valid, whether you will be seen as a bit of a joke by everybody else. That is probably the clearest way to describe it. But also, once you kind of work through that, you find that you you suddenly are flooded with confidence. And so that's why for me, imposter syndrome is really a moment of growth. It's that sign that says, hey, you're about to do something that you've never done before. You feel like you're not supposed to be here, but actually you are supposed to be here. So just be confident about what you're doing and off you go. And once you get through that moment, everything comes good and the imposter syndrome feeling that anxiety disappears. Hugh says it's important to distinguish between imposter feelings and imposter syndrome. The distinction between the feelings and the syndrome is quite important because what I, what I would argue, and certainly the research shows, most people will feel that sort of sense when, you, when you're doing something new or taking on some opportunity or moved up to a new level or something. A little bit of your brain is going to be going, maybe I won't be able to do it. And, and I would argue that's a fairly normal human reaction, really. Mm. And then you sort of calm yourself down a bit and go, well, hang on, I'll give it a go. But for some people, the doubts become very persistent and hard to get rid of and, and sort of take over them a little bit. And, and they start to believe that that might be true. And that's when I think it really becomes a bit of a syndrome. And that means it's not just an occasional feeling, but it's a lot of the time that's going through your mind. The thoughts, you know, I can't do this. I'm going to be found out. The feelings, you're feeling anxious on edge all the time. You know, the, the, the best way I think to describe the feeling is, you know, when you're driving down the motorway or the freeway and a police car comes along with its siren on, you think, what have I done wrong? Yes. And, and of course, they just keep on going because it wasn't you at all. But it's when anybody says, let's have a meeting, let's have a talk, you think, oh, this is the one. <laughs> and, and then the behaviours that people display are either overwork, you know, work 10 times harder than you have to so that they don't find out, or else, sadly, avoid. You know, that means don't do it at all. The, the sad thing there is you miss out on the opportunities. What are some of the positives then of imposter syndrome? I think a little bit of self-reflection is a good thing. You know, to, to question yourself every now and again and saying, how am I going? Because if you go to the other extreme, people who never question themselves can be a little bit out of touch with uh, what's really happening or their own abilities. They, they're thinking everything I do is brilliant, even though it's not. It's called unwarranted self-confidence. <laughs> Which means, you know, people think I'm brilliant, but everybody else is thinking, I'm not so sure. Maybe you should have a look at the evidence. And so a little bit of self-reflection and, and self-questioning is a good thing. But the trick is you have to look at the evidence. And the evidence is, hang on, I can do things. I've done them in the past. It's okay. It'll work out. My name is Leanne Hughes. I'm an international facilitator and consultant. Uh, the, the reason I think imposter syndrome is so prevalent today is because of the exposure. The world has just gotten smaller. So when we were younger, I'm nearly 40 now, gosh, 38. When I was younger, I was comparing myself to um, when I played netball, the people within my community, the people at my school. And then I went to university. I was comparing myself to the people around me and sort of just getting a status update on where I sort of fit in the pack. And now because of social media, the internet, everything that we see, it's instantaneous. And we are suddenly comparing ourselves with the best authors, the best podcasters, the best business people in the world. And we're seeing that every single day that we log onto any type of social media platform. And as humans, it's our job to really figure out where we sit in that hierarchy. And so the hierarchy, it's just huge. It's a massive ocean. And when we see that, uh, then we think, well, do I even have a place here? Am I even worthy of this? Uh, and I think that's probably why we see it more often now. 
we talk about imposter syndrome as another way in which women need to fix themselves and that we're going around thinking that we're imposters and that if we just stopped doing that, everything would be different. But what I think is probably the truth is that we live in a world that's not been set up for us to succeed. And so, yes, we are constantly trying to fight our way through all of the um, systemic and invisible barriers that are put in our way. And so the world is kind of constantly telling us you don't belong here or you can't do this is because actually and so I think imposter syndrome to that extent is sort of almost a natural response to a world that continues to tell you this place is not for you and so I don't think it's the thing about women that we need to fix. Entrepreneur Kate Morris but what about the blokes? Women are a little bit more represented, but not as much as you'd expect. It's not like two to one or anything like that. And my, my take on it is that women are probably more willing to talk about it. For, for men, it's not really cool to say that. You know, you're supposed to be this warrior person who can solve everything. And so actually saying, I doubt myself, is not that cool, really. So I, I think that's why it often is more associated with women because they're more willing to talk about it, but probably a bit more representative, but not as much as you'd think. And in your experience, is it more common in any particular workplaces? My experience is it's fairly widespread, but probably the ones where you're going to be measured more often. And uh, it's very, very common all through the education system because all through there you're measured every time, you know, exams and measures and uh, whether you go up, you move up to the next level and so forth. And no matter how well you do, there's always another one. It's a bit like a computer game. No matter how well you do, you move up to the next level. It's more complicated and harder. So very, very common there. Another common area is sport, yeah, because in sport, you know, people are measured all the time. Like after the football match, they give the players, you got seven out of 10 or nine out of 10. But, but also in sports, they have that strange phrase that says, you're only as good as your last game, mm-hmm. which means you can be really good for five years and then one bad game and it's all over. So it's any area where you're measured and, and, and in most workplaces now, unfortunately, you know, you're constantly, constantly measured, you know, it's, and, and, and your whole future depends on, did you meet your sales targets? Did you meet these things? And even if you do well, you're thinking, will I be able to keep it up? Can I keep going? So it's generally in areas, as I said, where, where you try. If, if you don't do very much, you know, then you don't, you don't take the risk, then you're probably not going to experience so much, but it's where you actually try and do things, it becomes more obvious. My name is Dr. Jennifer Kent and I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the University of Sydney. The first time I experienced imposter syndrome, I was quite young actually, I was about 11 and I remember I was in um, some kind of a session in primary school for talented children and we were all sort of being asked to say, what do you think you're talented at? And I remember just thinking, I'm just talented at convincing other people that I'm talented. I don't think I'm talented at anything at all. So that was the first sort of experience I think I had with it. I think imposter syndrome in academia is almost like, it's almost like a prerequisite for being an academic is being worried that you don't know what you're talking about or that other people are about to find out that you don't know what you're talking about because it, It's almost what actually pushes you to keep seeking new knowledge and to do that with the rigour that is required by academia sort of needs you to constantly be questioning yourself. It's just that there's this boundary that I think we need to maintain that 
we're questioning our approaches and our work rather than ourselves. There's a difference there. Journalist and best-selling author Ginger Gorman has also experienced imposter syndrome since childhood. Do you know, I actually can't remember a time, Lisa, when I didn't experience it. I just always thought I was a bit crap as a kid. And I have memories, which I suspect a lot of people do, but things like when I was in about year two, I distinctly remember overhearing my teacher telling my mum that I was a plotter academically. A, a plotter. A plotter. I just had that stuck in my brain. You know, I was a bit of a fat kid. I found it very difficult to learn to read. And in a way, I was quite an outcast. My dad was a diplomat. So I came back to Australia with a North London accent when I was nine. I didn't have any friends. And I just never thought I was that great. And it's really carried through my whole life. And so when you heard the word plotter, what did it mean to you at the time? And how (laughs) has it stayed with you? Look, I think... The idea that you are mediocre can actually be advantageous. What it did do was make me carry around the feeling that I had to try a lot harder than other people, that I was slow to read, I was slow to learn. And so I was one of those people that would stay up all hours God gave to get good grades. So imposter syndrome is really the sense that internally you feel not as competent as other people see you as from the outside. And yeah, I definitely carried that around with me and it made me try harder. And that kind of perfectionism or that wanting to strive has actually been quite useful for me in my life. So I'm going to tell you this hilarious story, which is I was invited onto a government panel at a government department here in Canberra in 2017 to talk about imposterism. And on the panel with me is a psychologist who's an expert in this area and she'd written a book. And I said to the crowd, I'm really grateful to have had imposter syndrome and I feel like it's responsible for my whole <laughs> career. You know. And she turned around to me in front of all these hundreds of people and said, that's maladaptive. So she was basically telling me I was a basket case in front of all these people. But so... I think she's wrong. So when imposter syndrome raised its head again for Ginger before another public event, she crowdsourced advice. I put this tweet out which said, has imposter syndrome ever been useful to me? And the responses were incredible. First of all, everyone wanted to talk about it. So well, how, like, how, many, how many tweets did you get back? <laughs> so I can't remember how many responses, but I got 42,000 impressions on that tweet. Wow. So tons and tons of people retweeted it, responded and so forth. And the responses were so fascinating. They came back in a range. So at the extreme end, people were saying imposter syndrome is crippling. It stops me striving. It stops me putting my hand up. It stops me being my best. But then there was this whole cohort in the middle, which I found the most interesting. People saying, 
It's super helpful. There was one woman who was a manager and she was saying, I love it when people in my team have imposter syndrome because they're humble and it really helps them. It helps them to work in teams. It helps them to accept the ideas of others and so forth. So I found that fascinating. And then another person said, I think it's great to tell people you've got imposter syndrome because most other people have it and then you bond over it. So that was really interesting too. So yeah, there was a sense that if it was extreme, it crushes you. But in the middle there, it's a really useful facet, which is what I found. I'm actually really grateful because I think it makes you a better listener. It makes you more compassionate and kind towards others. And it makes you not just wanting to strive to do better, but much more able to be in a community and work with other people. And while there can be some benefits to harnessing imposter syndrome, let's not forget that it can be incredibly difficult for some. My name is Jules and I've been a tech generalist for the last 10 years. Imposter syndrome feels like analysis paralysis over my own anxieties and my unyielding perfectionism and the need to overachieve in the workplace. and. It can be very crippling, especially with someone of my my nature who drives on like high octane anxiety in my job. And so, yeah, it can be pretty pretty debilitating in the anxiety and the over-perfectionism that happens. Hugh Kearns has some strategies to deal with it. The first one, uh, I think, and hopefully by talking about this, is to realise it's normal that there's nothing wrong with you. If you have that doubt, uh, it's not really true. As I said, 70% and probably even more would feel it occasionally. So if you're starting a new job or doing something new, that's normal. So you don't have to get rid of it and say there's anything wrong with it. The next one, uh, I think, is to realize that uh, feelings are not facts. And this is, I suppose, the important thing about psychology really is you can feel something, you can feel really strongly, but that does not mean it's true. Uh, the, the example I sometimes give is, you know, when, when somebody walks out of an exam and they say, oh, that's awful. It's the worst exam I've ever done. And then they get a good grade. You know, well, how did that work? Well, well, they felt bad, but it doesn't tell you what really happened. The next one is uh, look at the evidence. Uh, force yourself to look at the evidence. Uh, the next one, and I have this as well, and I, I would encourage everyone to do it, is, is create what I call a fact file or a brag file. And a brag file or a fact file is all the, the compliments you've ever received, all the nice things that people have said about you, the good feedback you've got. And that needs to go in a folder because um, when you're having your imposter feelings, you can't think of the good stuff. And I'll give you an example. Like I, I often run workshops and um, after the workshops, I'll get an email saying, that was good, thanks very much. But every now and again, uh, I'll get an email saying, that was rubbish. Now, <laughs> if, you, if you have 100 emails and 99 of them are good and one is bad, what will you spend the evening thinking about? Yep, the one bad one. Oh, that's, this feels familiar, Hugh. <laughs> that's right. So when I get that one bad one, what I go is go to the fact file and look at the 99 good ones <laughs> and go, that person was weird. <laughs> They're wrong. Because <laughs> otherwise you believe it and you think it might be true. So you need a fact file, you know, all the evidence. Because when you're having your doubts, you can't remember the good stuff. Nice. And then the last one, uh, number five on the list, is to be brave and take action. Because you can talk about it all you like, and you can try and make sense of it all, but at some stage, you just have to jump off the edge of the swimming pool into the water or put the application in, put your hand up in the meeting and ask the question. You've got to be brave and take action. And so that's the, that's the key one, I suppose, is at some point, yeah, I feel like that, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
because if you don't do that, you miss out on so many opportunities. I see a lot of people on professional networking social websites, for example, talking about imposter syndrome and trying to analyse it and really getting stuck in the loop of the feeling of imposter syndrome when the truth of it is that you will always experience imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter how many times you've started a business or how many times you've spoken at a new conference or met new people or someone introduces you with an amazing introduction and you really don't feel like you have earned it or own it. You feel it over and over and over and over again. So it's something that we need to really make friends with. And so I would encourage anyone who is feeling a little bit paralyzed by imposter syndrome to realize that this this is a turning point for you. And it's a moment where you will grow and feel more confident as a result. The way that we perceive other people and their confidence is so different to how they perceive themselves. And the most refreshing thing to know is that everyone in the world is seeking validation and wants to know if they're good enough. Leanne Hughes and Letitia Mooney. And thanks so much to all of you who emailed in your stories. We loved hearing them and we're sorry that we couldn't include them all. And just a heads up, we heard there from Adore Beauty founder, Kate Morris, where we're going to have a much longer chat with Kate in our live show, Risky Business, at the Melbourne Podcast Festival. It's at the Jam Factory on Saturday, July 31st at 11.30, and tickets are on sale now. Come along and meet the team. All the details are on our program page. And before we go, a little bonus, just for you podcasters. One last story. Zubin Pratap sent us a video sharing his views on imposter syndrome. And I must say, he has nailed what we just covered in 25 minutes in five. Well, almost. Here it is for your listening pleasure. This is something I believe very strongly about because I've had three very different careers. I was a corporate lawyer for 12 years. I was then an MBN in sort of commercial roles for a while. And then I taught myself to code, and today I'm a software engineer at Google. And I I taught myself to code at 37, which is not the youngest exactly. Every step along the way, in every profession, no matter where I was, not only did I feel imposter syndrome, people around me who were candid enough would admit that they felt it no matter what level they were at. And that entire process of learning 18 plus years of witnessing it crystallized for me in one moment when I watched the um, Carol Dweck TED Talk about mindset and about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Uh, And the reason it all came together for me was when I realized that if everyone feels that they're not good enough and then they couple that that sensation or that, that belief, that limiting belief, with an empowering belief that they absolutely can get good enough, that they can improve, which is the essence of what a growth mindset is, is to know that you're not fixed in your ability, you can improve, persistence will make you better, will reap rewards. When I couple that imposter syndrome sensation with the realization that the growth mindset is a very real thing, 
everything started to change in my life. Now that happened around the time I was wondering, do I really have it in me to learn to code? Because I just, I'd founded a startup. It wasn't doing very well. It was starting to fail quite quite dramatically, actually, in my own head at least. And I, and I had the choice, do I learn to code to continue to try and keep it alive or do I just quit? And I chose to try and teach myself to code so that I could continue with my startup quest. Eventually ended up in Google, but that's that's a different story. Because it was it was considered, or a lot of people thought I was crazy to even try to teach myself to code after uh, you know fourteen year career in law and other things, and um, you know without actually having a formal degree and things like that. And, and all of this is only possible because I reframed imposter syndrome. I, I now do a bit of coaching for, for people uh, once in a while when I have the time, and I find that almost everybody universally, whether they're in big companies like Google or not, it doesn't matter. People feel imposter syndrome. There's no shortage of material out there about imposter syndrome. And realizing that it's, it's normal, it's natural, is unfortunately about 30% of the battle. The next step that I found really helpful, which is a personal philosophy, is that we've got to stop assuming that when we compare our, our internal self, our internal state, our perceptions of our internal self with what we perceive about the external state of other people, that dissonance is what makes us feel like imposters because we compare how we feel on the inside to how people appear on the outside. And that's a huge mistake. We have no idea what they're feeling on the inside. And we shouldn't really care because ultimately, if we're not feeling good on the inside, we need to believe that we can do something to improve it. And that's critical. That's that's the very heart of the growth mindset. And so I think reframing it, especially in the context of the pandemic, in the context of a, of a rapidly digitizing world where, you know, automation is something that everyone is worried about, that their, that their jobs will be automated uh, out of existence. I'm on the fence about how, ex how pervasive that will be, but there's no doubt that it is a reality for many people. And if nothing else, jobs will need to transform or skills will need to be updated to address that reality. And so I, I truly, 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 truly believe um, I think you can tell by the way I'm speaking about it, that the imposter syndrome is prevalent. I, I actually compare it to your shadow. You cannot run away from it. But instead, you learn to deal with it and perhaps even ignore it altogether, not take it seriously at all, as long as you change your mindset about what's possible for you if you put your mind to it and you're prepared to upskill. So the best antidote to the imposter syndrome is the acknowledgement that you can get better tomorrow and that how you are today is not an indicator of what's possible for you tomorrow. And as long as you don't stop trying to get better, you will get to a state where you realize and you have the confidence in yourself that not feeling like you're good enough is just a feeling. It's a thought. It's not a reality. And you can absolutely learn whatever you need to be good enough. And when you're good enough for the job and you're really very comfortable in the job, then it's probably time for you to try growing again by moving to the next job, which is going to be a stretch job. And that's going to make you feel like a bit of an imposter all over again. So it's, it's a wonderful cycle if you're willing to embrace it and lean into it. Um, I really hope that's a value to you guys, whatever you're doing with the show. Good luck. Cheers. Ah, Carol Dweck would be proud. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle with research this week by Cara Jensen-McKinnon. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working.